Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all in the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts, connecting buyers and suppliers of custom manufactured parts. The Paperless Platform is a secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based manufacturing system for suppliers that reduces the amount of time spent on sales, estimating, quoting, administration, and order processing. It offers seamless integration with the accounting and ERP software tools that shops already use, such as QuickBooks, E2, and JobBoss. Paperless Parts was founded with a mission to make manufacturing more accessible by streamlining the quote-to-cash process. Spend less time quoting and more time selling. This episode is sponsored by our friends at the NTMA, the National Tooling and Machining Association. The NTMA is an association of privately held, entrepreneurial-based, and family-owned businesses, representing nearly 1,200 small to mid-sized machine shops and tool and die shops across the country. They have approximately 30 very active regional chapters that host local events, run apprenticeship programs, and provide other services to their regional members. As an association of peers, the goal of the NTMA is to help members of the U.S. precision custom manufacturing industry achieve profitable growth and business success in a global economy through networking, workforce development and training, technology, best practices education, advocacy, programs, and services with industry partners. To learn how your company can get involved with the NTMA, including how to join, visit ntma.org. Shazam! This is Jay Jacobs. Welcome to the Job Shop Show. Today we have a special guest who is a very successful businessman in the IT space. Ari Santiago founded IT Direct, located in Hartford, Connecticut. They were recently acquired by Compass MSP, and Ari was named CEO of Compass. Both companies are a MSP, or managed service provider. Their mission is to help companies of 25 to 500 employees unlock the power of technology to reach their business goals. As such, IT Direct and Compass MSP work with a number of Connecticut manufacturing companies. And Ari's passion for manufacturing led him to start his own podcast, Made in America, two years ago. He interviews some of the leaders and pioneers in Connecticut and Western Mass in the manufacturing area. So today you have one podcast host chatting with another podcast host. So hopefully we won't have a lot of dead air time. But what we will get into is the importance of technology in business and what that means lessons Ari's learned from talking with manufacturing leaders, and what it's like to start a podcast. And for you shop owners who think that IT is a necessary evil, I am actually going to try and ask Ari lots of questions today to scare you into making it really important in your organization, because it was really important for me at Rapid, and I think it should be for you as well if you don't want your business to be subject to something, say, like ransomware. Let's get going and bring Ari on. Welcome to the Job Shop Show, Ari. 
Jay, thanks so much for uh, having me on. You know, it's been a rare pleasure for me to be able to be on the other side of the interview microphone, you know, as it were. And I'm coming fresh off our 100th episode on the Made in America with Ari Santiago podcast, where we flipped the script and I was the guest. So I think I'm ready for you, Jay. I think I'm ready. Cool. 100. That's awesome. Congratulations on reaching that milestone. Thank you, man. Thank you. It's funny. You released the hundred, but you've already got like two or three more in the can. So it's, it's, right. you know, hard to put it together, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's quite a milestone. I'm really grateful for my team and all the guests we've had. Well, in doing research for this episode, I learned that two events in 1991 changed your life forever. Can you tell us what happened and how they put you on the trajectory to where you are today? Yeah, man, that's a, it's funny how, you know, life can turn on really, you know, see, you know, very, very sort of small events can become big events. So in, on February 12th, 1991, I was in Stratton Mountain in Vermont. I was skiing on a trail there as a 13 year old. And, you know, I traversed the trail. I thought there was uh, white snow. Turns mm-hmm. out it was ice. Skis came out from under me. I was knocked unconscious when my head hit the ice. This is before uh, ubiquitous helmet wearing in skiing. I was knocked unconscious. I slid a couple hundred yards into some snowmaking equipment and was paralyzed from the waist down. And that uh, would change anybody's life. It certainly changed yeah. mine. I was a four season athlete. It was, you know, like many young boys dreamed of playing for my favorite uh, sports team, which is and was the Boston Red Sox. And just was really passionate about being outside and, and doing sports, baseball, basketball, soccer, swimming, skiing. And obviously that sort of changed overnight and found myself, you know, in a hospital rehabbing for months and unable to do even the most basic things that had come so easy to me, brushing my teeth, getting dressed, feeding myself. It was all kind of starting from, starting from scratch. And so when going through that process, you're reevaluating a lot in your life. I I turned 14 in the hospital not long after uh, the accident happened. And I was in the hospital from that day, the 12th of February till at the beginning of May. And so that was some bad news. But, you know, as I've always said, if you just sort of keep on uh, trekking forward, what seems like horrible news can turn into really good news. And I was extremely fortunate that a friend of my mother's, and this remembers this 1991. So computers weren't anywhere near where mm-hmm. we are today, right? This is pre Windows right. 95, pre the internet, way pre iPhone for the youngsters out there. Podcasts weren't even a glimmer. But my mom had a, a friend who was an anesthesiologist, but had a hobby playing with computers. And he reached out and said, Hey, you know, I, I heard from my wife that Ari's really bored. And I have this new computer and it's really interesting because it doesn't have a five and a quarter floppy. It only has a three and a half inch floppy um, and it has a 20 megabyte hard drive, right? Which was big, big doings back then. And would he like to play with it? And again, this is pre-Windows. This is MS-DOS. So he gives it to me and I just started playing with it. And you know something, I hadn't really worked with computers much before, but it turned out I had a really strong aptitude for it. And there began a love of uh, technology and I started my first IT, my first computer business later that year building and selling computers that turned into a company called New Age Computing in my second half of my high school career which was not too dissimilar from what I'm doing now going to small businesses back then it was much smaller businesses and helping them work with computers and I just saw even in 1992 93 94 95 how much having the right technology even back then was helping businesses I love that that's what drove my passion. And, you know, that led to me starting IT Direct in 2002, which led to me ultimately being the CEO of uh, Compass MSP and talking to you, Jay. Well, 
Thanks for sharing that. And I think about you were a boy when your accident happened. And how did your parents help you at that point in time? Because that, I imagine your mind was just shattered. And how, how did they help you rise from the ashes? You know, it was a true family effort. And there was, I think, probably one underlying core principle, which I'll share with you. And then a lot of sort of micro behaviors that supported that that core principle, which I'll also share with you. You know, I think the the core principle was he can be okay. You know, like his life can go on. And my parents made that commitment to support me and finding a new path. It was a different path, but mm-hmm. it was still a path that could be a really fulfilling and rewarding life. And I think my story has borne out that that faith that they had was true. Um, not only do I have some great business, but I've got a beautiful wife who's extremely talented, smart, and successful in her own right. Uh, we've got two wonderful kids. You know, I, I mean, my life is everything I ever uh, wanted it to be, you know, minus being the starting shortstop for the Boston Red Sox, which was probably a, a pipe dream uh, to begin with. So, you know, I, I have no regrets. And, and when I think about the micro things, you know, I remember my mom, I learned about this much later in my life, but you know, my mom would tell people when they came to see me in the hospital, especially in the early days, that they no crying at Ari's bedside. Mm. We can cry in the hallway, but when we go inside, we demonstrate strength mm. and support. And, you know, there was times I wanted to give up because it is tough. I'm not going to lie. You know, mm. you're, you're sitting in bed and you see this wheelchair over there. And just a month earlier, in two seconds, you would have been up in it, walking past it running down the hall. And now those three feet might as well have been 3000 miles. And you just don't know how to do anything. Getting your shoes on and off is like Herculean, you know? And so it's, it's, it's tough. And, and sometimes you want to give up. There's definitely tough days, setbacks for sure, just like in life all the time. But my parents were right there encouraging me, you know, telling me sometimes in harsh words, like, you know, I remember my dad said to me one time, you're at, the accident didn't kill you, Ari. Don't let your attitude kill you. Mm. And that was, I'm sure, hard for him to say as a dad now myself. I can't imagine the strength it takes to do that, but it, it was what I needed to hear and the right thing to kind of keep pushing me forward. And, you know, my, my brothers were there for me, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, cousins all came to visit and express their support. And I can tell you for someone that's in the hospital for a long period of time, having people pop by, bring you a milkshake, a nice card, just a smile, even if it's only for 10 minutes, it really makes a difference. And all those little micro supports, I think, help lay the foundation for where I've been got to today. It does take a team. No does take what. a team. Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Perhaps you would have gotten into computers anyways, but this was something that made sense at the time. I doubt it, Jay. I got to tell you, I mean, you look, who knows, right? You, you never know the, we can't, right. we can't rewind the tape and, and take a different path. So we're on the path we're on, but it's hard to see that at the time. It was hard to see how I would have ended up with computers. I feel like I would have ended up being a lawyer, probably a good one, but pretty unhappy ultimately. And so, you know, this led me to this great, great career in this awesome industry. It led me back ultimately to come after college back to West Hartford. I met my wife in West Hartford. I mean, it's hard to imagine, Jay, how my life could have ended up better. So I, you know, it's not a, I'm not, I wouldn't recommend going out there and doing this to yourself, but I think what I can say is, and we've talked about this before with other people that we all have 
big challenges. I'm sure you've had challenges in your life, Jay, and I've talked to many people in it, whether it's losing a parent early in your life, or sometimes there's alcoholism in your family or accidentally get pregnant, you know, uh, too early. Mm-hmm. We all have these different hardships and challenges. Some are emotional, some are physical, some are situational that we have to overcome. And uh, I think mine, you know, mine just happened to be this. And I'm very happy that people have been supporting me to, to go through it. And I'm really happy where things ended up. So if anyone's challenged or has some challenges out there, I would say, you're not alone. Just keep on keeping on and the brighter days are for sure ahead. Well, what you've accomplished since then is certainly very inspiring. And you, you do, you have a, you've created such a full life. I want to talk about what you have created and, and broadly, I guess it's technology and business, but more specifically, it's the use of computers, which are everywhere and not only in manufacturing and, and in shops, but everywhere. And you work with folks other than manufacturers, but perhaps we can start with, could you define technology, define MSP and describe what IT Direct and Compass MSP do? Absolutely. You know, I I think our view is that what we do is we help our clients be more successful through the use of information technology, period, full stop. And when you want to broadly kind of look at that, yes, it's computers, And certainly in 1994, 95, it was pretty much mostly just computers. But today it's wireless networking, it's tablets, Mm -hmm. it's mobile devices, it's, you know, which laptops, cell phones, you know, it's networking because there's, I mean, back in the old days, right, you, in the old days, maybe 15 years ago, right, you basically had a switch, you plug some stuff in and it talked to each other. And now we've got VLANs and what, how that impacts because there's so much data being generated, so much connectivity that it's just ever more complicated. And so when we go to our clients and, you know, manufacturing is really big for us in the Northeast, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New York area, where we service, that we're spending a lot of time working with manufacturers, helping them see contextually the big picture of IT. And I think, you know, our passion is finding business owners that realize that embracing technology is essential to their success. And I know, you know, Jay, when we kind of prep for the show, one of the things you and I bonded on, I is that whole concept that when you understand truly the leveraging power of technology, that mm-hmm. it can do so much for your business. And what's interesting is manufacturers, the ones that are still in existence and successful, especially in the Northeast, realized over the last few decades that if they didn't embrace manufacturing technology, CNC, they didn't embrace the processes that you need to use the new technology more effectively, right? You know, whether it's lean, Kaizen, 5S, making sure we understand how to define processes better, single piece flow, different ways of eliminating waste. How do we manage the supply chain better? How do we upskill our workers so we're getting more productivity because we're not going to be able to compete with $2 an hour or 50 cents an hour labor arbitrages in certain places. So we have to find it in productivity. Manufacturers that are successful have seen how to do that in manufacturing technology. And what we're saying at at IT Direct Encompass is, let us help you get that same benefit from information technology. And you alluded to it, I think earlier in this conversation that the conversation is twofold now. It isn't just about enhancement, it's about defense also. So we've got a really powerful story and encouragement for manufacturers today to think about the offensive technology and the defense to prevent bad things from happening from technology. I'm sure we'll talk about cybersecurity for sure at some point as well. Definitely want to get into that. And 
just to give the listener framework, employee number 15 at Rapid was a IT manager, you know, William Bonner. He is a phenomenal IT, I, I forget his final title at Rapid, but he grew from being team member number 15 to when we sold the company, over 300 team members, and he had a team underneath him, and we managed, I think there were more computers than people at some points. So Yeah, no doubt. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> Certainly like way more say, devices. I, I, yes, and that, that I should say devices instead of computers, because it is. It's We had deployed tablets all over the shops. People were starting to do things on their phones. I, I used to get upset because people would be sitting on their phones, and realized okay they're texting somebody else on the floor to get an answer it's like all right <laughs> that, 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 and I, but let me step back that's a mindset as a shop owner you got to get over and yes you can go over overboard and be texting your friends or but that is a instant communication tool that pays dividends in your shop. And just because somebody's on their phone doesn't mean that they're not working. Just yeah, man, we got to learn to look at it differently. And the where, where IT Direct and Compass fit into the picture, to your point is, you know, the complexity of IT is just so high, right? I mean, there's tablets, thin clients, wireless networking, VLANs, wired networking, firewalls, cybersecurity, cloud, hybrid cloud. I mean, there's, you know, remote desktop and Citrix. I mean, there's just technology after technology, cloud applications. So there's just so much going on. And what we look at is and say, there's a base of technology that everyone needs to have done right. Got to so have your let's 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 talk okay. about that base. Yeah. So, so, what are the without and there's so much more beyond the base. But what are the successful companies doing well? What defines a base? Yeah, for sure. Let me just one piece, and I'll lead right into that. Because uh, I think okay. you know, our just I want to just articulate the view that you know I think that there's high value add items in technology that are very specific to a business. Right. And I don't know if this was how much this was at Rapid, but I see it at the successful manufacturers where talking about so much data that's being generated, machine data, quality data, right? Mm-hmm. Data from your ERP systems, processes that need to be customized for your business that mm-hmm. require data scientists, for lack of a better term, software programmers, ERP specialists. That's not what we do. We view that as like proprietary to each business, right? That's part of your special sauce of how you service your clients. But there's a base underlying it. And that making sure that we've got the right people to operate that base and keep it optimally so you can build your proprietary benefit on that foundation, we keep that foundation running tight, secure, and stable so you have the confidence to build on top of that, right? So that's what we do. And then to answer your question about what that base looks like, I think the base has to do with the IT plumbing. So it literally, in a lot of manufacturing firms, Jay, it can start with the cabling. I mean, I can tell you, we've been to many manufacturers and I get it. Like people, you know, whether you call it moonshine or we're really good at keeping our machines running or whatever, manufacturers have gotten really adept at keeping older machines running, right? The ability to sort of keep it moving is prized as well as it should be in manufacturing. But what you often see is, oh yeah, our guys run cables. Well, if you think about how well your car runs on a bad road, that's how you need to think about cabling. When your wiring isn't done right, it can really cause underlying problems. And those problems are insidious and hard to find. And the mm-hmm. more you create that scrambled mess, 
the more you're going to you know, hurt yourself. You know, people like to call these little mini switches splitters. We didn't run another wire. We just plugged a splitter in, you know, uh, like you'd split your, your cable at home or something. And th- that's, you know, that's just not going to work, right? Because if you take one cable and you split it into three and then you split that into three more, you're just creating these traffic jams of data being generated on these lines. So, you know, just even from that very basic physical level, we'll come in and evaluate what is that physical infrastructure looks like and how do we get that stabilized? How do we look at the networking, right? The the ones and zeros that are being sent on those cables. How do we organize the network in a logical way so that you're getting optimal throughput and that traffic that shouldn't be on the same network, you know, Mm. isn't on the same network, which can be a security and an efficiency issue, you know? So just as a point, a lot of companies, if someone's visiting, they'll just give them the password to their network. And I know it took me, I didn't know it until I was told, you can set up two or three different networks and have a network just for guests that's sort of firewalled away from all the stuff that you're doing. It's a little thing, but those little things add up. hundred percent, Jay. And, and I mean, so you look at a, at a manufacturer, you might have your shop floor machines mm-hmm. on their own, what's called a VLAN or a virtual LAN, right? Its own mm-hmm. network that's separate from, say, like the administrative computers that's separate from your guest network, right? And, and those things can help with reliability, with security, with safety. And we sort of build from there, right? The wireless, how are the servers set up? Do we have the right policies in place? A lot of times the manufacturers, they're using the same username and the same password for 10 different people mm-hmm. at 10 different machines. Yeah. That's problematic because yeah. when something goes wrong on that one user, it automatically infects the other nine. Yeah. Right. And, and so how can we, and, and it's, when I say infects, I don't even just mean like a virus or something. What I'm saying is literally if a user types in the wrong password and gets that account locked out, now the other nine people are locked out too. Think about the efficiency challenge there of trying to figure out, then you got to reset the password. You got to communicate with everyone, the new password and that, you know, that problem. So, you know, our view is how can we look at that base network, create a design that's stable and manage it, manage it and manage it. And the way i think is a great way to analogize how you should be thinking of your base network is like a garden. You got to look at your landscape, you plant it, but you have to tend to it, Jay. If you're not in there regularly weeding and watering, it is going to get overrun and broken. And what we do is efficiently garden that network. That's a great point because tending your garden costs money, but tending your IT infrastructure costs money. But there, there could be events that are just a pain in the ass. But more often than not, the lack of spending money on maintenance ends up with a catastrophic event that impacts, almost always, it impacts some delivery that's super important for your best customer. And you look like jerks because you you couldn't deliver. And continuous (laughs) investment in, in the maintenance. Jay, I totally agree with you. And I, I think the way we like to say it is people who think that not spending on the right IT maintenance is saving money, I don't think are looking at their business the right way. Because mm-hmm. when you're not spending it proactively on the maintenance, all you're doing is building up a credit balance uh, or a debit balance in your risk account. And eventually that risk account is going to come due and it's going to damage your business. And the question is how often and how big, but much like a garden, right? If you're in the garden and your job is to make sure that those flowers happen, or if you're gardening for food, right? 
having a garden that's tended and clean is going to produce way more than a garden that's full of weeds, right? You'll still get some flowers, you'll still get some vegetables, but they're not going to be as clean and as prolific without it. And that's exactly the leverage you get from IT. And I'll, I'll, I'll make a direct analogy to manufacturing. When you go around your facility and you 5S and you create your right, you know, you tape out all your machines, you create your right travelers and handoffs so everyone knows how the parts flow. Do you set it up once and never talk about it again? Mm. Or are we believing in that continuous improvement, that loop that says, hey, we got to double check, make sure that we have accountability around the process we set up so that we're continuing. Because if we don't stay on it, we know, right, everything's going to go back and get messier and not stay on track. Our job is to keep your IT, much like your manufacturing processes, right on track. I want to get back to a lot of things you're talking about, but I want to insert here, ask the question in terms of cost as perhaps a percentage of revenue. There's the initial outlay, and let's put that to the side for a sec, but just the maintenance of your IT, how much should you budget? Because, and let's step back even further and say, the reason you're bringing in technology devices is that they help you increase your productivity. They make you more efficient. So by not having them, you are not a strong business. So it makes a lot of sense to bring this stuff in. Once you've brought it in, what, just keeping that base going and maybe a little more, what should you budget as a percentage of, and I always like to look at your, your total revenue. I mean, it's a great question, Jay. And I, I wish I had a straight answer. It's a little bit like what percentage of your revenue should you spend on sales and marketing? I guess mm-hmm. when it's working a lot, right? Because it should return for you. Um, I mean, I would say you, you, you off the cuff, you know, 3% feels like a right number, you know, minimally on just sort of like maintenance, refresh, keeping things going. But a lot of it depends on, on the business. You know, I'll tell you what, I've seen some businesses that are leveraging different components of technology, robots, cobots, and, and mm-hmm. their IT becomes a lot more important, right? If you're running third shift lights out, your IT <laughs> cannot fail, right? It cannot fail, Right. So you're probably spending a little bit more as a percentage of revenue, but you're going to save some of that on your increased productivity per dollar of labor. So, I mean, I think that, you know, you got to baseline it around that 3% number. And then what I would be saying, and what I say in my own business, what we look at here is saying, where can we invest in technology to get more out of the people and the tools that we have? And I think that's that's, how manufacturers should look at it. That's the way we look at it. I love that approach. And that, again, doesn't include the capital expense of device turnover. And, and again, I'm going down the road. How often do you think devices need to be replaced? People tend to hang on to this Windows 95 computer as long as possible. But really, if you're creating a capital budget for rollover of IT equipment, what's sort of the time frame on that? Great question. I, th- I think... You know, number one, everyone's a little bit different. I'll explain why. And that's why our belief is that everyone needs to be worked with custom to what their specific needs are. And I'll give you an example. If you've got, say, a virtual desktop environment, you may be able to use thin clients that will last a lot longer than, say, a desktop or a laptop, right? So when you um, say thin clients, can you explain yeah. that? For- sure, sure, sure. Yeah, so, I mean, a virtual desktop environment really is where you've got servers, and those servers essentially have the desktops on them. They're obviously not physical desktops. That's why they're called virtual desktops. And you have a thin client where you work, which essentially, it looks like a little tiny computer. And basically, all it does is 
it allows you to connect to the server, but all the computing, the, the, all your applications and all that are installed uh, on the server. It could be a great tool in manufacturing where you may have a number of endpoint devices that don't have a ton of sophistication, but need to access your ERP. So you're, you're, pull data you're talking down. something like a Google Chromebook as a thin client? Do, yeah, and even less than that. They've got, you know, Wise terminals, 10zig uh, machine. Okay. Some people use Raspberry Pis. You just basically connect to this, you know, a terminal server and basically get the desktop there. And so mm -hmm. there's not a lot of processing happening or hardly any processing happening at the device. So instead of like a desktop, which I would say, depending on its use, you're looking at three to five years on the outside, the five years that, uh, you know, a, a thin client, you're at the five to seven years probably, right? Because you're investing more in the core. So your okay. ed endpoint devices, right? But, you're, but if you have the thin clients, the servers might need to be updated every two years. Correct. Every maybe you're looking at more like the uh, at a server at a more of a you know a they'll be bigger and more powerful and mm -hmm. they're probably on a four year cycle instead of a five year cycle of some of the servers that don't have as much you know much stuff. So I mean a little bit depends on what your needs are and and listen we understand that sometimes you've got a two hundred fifty thousand dollar plasma cutter that you don't want to have to mm -hmm. replace it and it's got a Windows XP computer on it and all it does is control the thing it works fine for you. We totally get that. So the question isn't. How do you insist on getting a new one if you don't need it? And that needs to be evaluated on its own. What's the value of the new machine and all that? But how do you then, and this goes back to the question we had before about segmenting those networks, how do you take that Windows XP computer and wall it off so mm. that it doesn't become the vehicle through which your entire network gets taken down because somebody in you know, Russia decided you're a great target? Jumping back to the original question and the the base level, when you go into companies that are not implementing IT correctly, what, what are they not doing? What are the, some of the basic things that you know, just the, the low hanging fruit that you can make an impact on their business right away? I mean, the number one thing that they're probably not doing is they don't have the right people managing the system. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't really matter how much you're spending or what you're spending it on if you're not getting the right advice. And I think, you know, when your important technology is being managed by somebody who is what I call the slash, you know, oh, our operations manager slash IT person is making, you know, like, you know, like those are, are, are some of the, you know, some of the big mistakes that I see. And a lot of it just comes down to Jay, the core of not committing to investing in that area because we don't know how to do it or what or we haven't done it. You know, I'm, sometimes I wish I could get in someone's head and understand it, but maybe it's, they just haven't been exposed to it. And podcasts like this to help educate people on the value are super helpful. I think. Having been a shop owner, when you buy a CNC machine tool or you buy something for your quality department, it's a physical object. And you can say, yeah, this is something I've spent money on when somebody charges you $10,000 for this invisible piece of software, even though it may make you $100,000, it just doesn't feel like you're buying something. And that's a, that's again, a mindset uh, that I had to get over. It's a really interesting perspective. What so kind of comes to my mind on that is having done all the podcasts I've done, one of the things I heard over and over from the manufacturing leaders that they love about manufacturing is that they're making something tangible, mm -hmm. that they can see it, 
feel it, you know, whatever. And it's interesting because that is completely the antithesis of, of software in a lot of ways, right? You, you can't mm-hmm. see it, you can't touch it, but it does have a real impact. So that's funny that you brought that up. I hadn't, I don't think I put those things together, but you're right. It is more ethereal maybe is the right word. And you're sort of betting on the come, right? You're betting on the invest in the technology now so I can get the return later. But that's something I think all business people kind of have to get over, right? You, you buy a machine today and you got to make the parts tomorrow. So yeah. Can you talk about, because you are a, what we'll call an outsourced IT, you may do it all, you may do some, maybe support. Can you talk though about managing this in-house versus working with somebody like Compass MSP or the different levels that you can go outside and not just rely on someone in-house? And then maybe towards the end, you can, uh, if somebody is committed to in-house, how they can make that team member or member's job easier, make them more successful. What do they have to do to make that happen? So big, big question, lots there, but jump into it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the, let me just sort of start with saying that, you know, my view since I started in this business two decades ago in sort of IT, even a decade before that, that the, the reality is there are so many things you need to know and tools you have to have to babysit so many mm-hmm. new products coming down the line that it's really, really difficult to be an in-house uh, IT team. And it's harder and harder every single year. I mean, we didn't talk about it too much, but there was a short stint in my career where I ran an IT department for two years for an environmental engineering firm that also worked with manufacturers. But even I saw it in my own self that two years into the job, I knew a lot about what we had, but scarily little about what we didn't have. And the demands on your time to show that you're effective are to keep you busy. But where is the investment to help educate me on what's out there? How do I have time for my team to be like moving forward on other things when we got to be in-house sort of taking up time? And so I think that it just, for me, was very difficult to be successful. And I outsourced my job to myself. That was the first IT Direct customer pre-Compass because I saw that as in-house, I wasn't able to do as good of a job for the business I was working in. You know, I had a team working for me. So I think that when you're looking at partnering with someone, the key is understanding what they do and what they don't do. And the view we have is the core infrastructure, cybersecurity, backup disaster recovery, and sort of helping you think through all those things and strategically plan for replacements and life cycles and introduce you to new technologies that are out there in the marketplace. That's something that we excel at. When it comes down to, you know, just to use Rapid as an example, when I'm in Rapid and I want to have somebody creating custom workflows inside my ERP, I want to have somebody managing my data and reporting and understanding how to integrate my different software applications together. That sort of data approach, that deep in the weeds stuff that's specific to your business, that's the talent that I think it makes sense to invest in-house in. I talked to manufacturers to now answer your second question about what can you do to help your internal IT department be successful is you got to invest more in them. I mean, I'm not saying you can't have a successful internal IT department. I think you absolutely can. You just need to have more people. And I think where I saw the hole in the market was, to me, it just didn't make sense to invest in all those specialties. And so businesses don't do it. And so that they rely on a more jack of all trades approach. And inevitably that doesn't work. So if you want your in-house team to be successful, you're going to have to find a way 
to cover all those expertises and areas internally. It's really hard for, say, a 10 million revenue shop. If you think about it as a percentage of revenue, if they're bringing you the right people in, in-house, it, it gets crazy in terms of costs. But at that size, you need to make sure you're really good at cybersecurity and data backup and all the things that you describe. And one person just, there's so much to know, as you said, that one person or two or three people will not have the skill set beyond just the other pieces of connecting the, the data. I see it as a, as a team effort between someone like Compass and some internal people who, and, and, and I'm sure you work with companies where you help them understand the type of training that they should be getting to make sure they're covering the bases when you guys aren't there. And so they don't have to call you for all these little things. Yeah, I mean, so most so our job is to try and eliminate those little things. What what I see, for example, I just had a conversation with someone not that long ago where, you know, they do some in-house software development. And so they sort of task their in-house software dev, I think it's two people, to like also respond to IT needs. And oh, by the way, can you just like take care of the backup? And can you do this? And can you do that? And, you know, some years hence, you know what they're finding out? They're falling way behind on the software development, right? And mm. those problems are core and insidious to the business, right? If having the software for your product, in this case, is needed for the product that they make, that not getting ahead of that is a long-term competitive disadvantage. And it doesn't show up in a month or six months, but in a year, in two years, and you sort of get behind the eight ball, it's hard to get ahead. So I think, Jay, the real line that we try and help our clients find is what's core custom to the business? Invest in that. What sort of like standard underlying infrastructure and let us manage that, right? I mean, we can do so much of remotely that you can, you know, deal with. We can deal with all the issues day to day without any let's, problem. Let's talk about some of that remote and also in the sense of the cloud. And maybe you can describe what the cloud is and how software that runs on the cloud is different than the desktop and maybe some of the pros and cons, but also how it ties into enabling you to do a better job remotely? Well, I'll just say this. I think that we can do so much remote because the technology exists, internet speeds. I mean, this shouldn't be anything new to, to people, but you know, 90% of what needs to get done can be get done remotely. And if you're mm-hmm. tending to your garden correctly, the, only, the nine of the next 10% is all pre-planned. So you're dealing with a you know, a 1% kind of urgent issue item, which is really manageable and and usually quite minor. What the cloud helps in, Jay, is, and this is something that we've seen, not just in manufacturers, but see it there too, is this penchant to, well, I bought insert product name Mm. and now it's seven years old. Why do I have to upgrade it? And you're just constantly having the conversation about, well, this seven-year-old product didn't know about all the stuff that comes on your computers now that's in the last year old. And so, Mm -hmm. of course, there's going to be conflicts between the new stuff and the old stuff. And what you'll see in manufacturers in particular is sort of the potpourri of software. And you've got, you know, (laughs) this is this one data collection tool. This is this other data collection tool. This is the access database we're using. This is the ERP we're using. This is the display board software we want to use. This is the Microsoft Office tool set we're using to do spreadsheets and data analytics. And like, it's all of different generations and different versions. 
And it's hard to make all of that sing like, a, like an orchestra, right? It's hard to get that fine note. And where yeah. cloud software can be super helpful is it's always up to date. You get that cloud software and yes, you're paying an annuity. I know some people are like, oh, but now everything's going to monthly fee. But the value of having all your software be modern and updated way outweighs the cost of not having it that way. And so mm -hmm. just getting in the habit of keeping your software up to date. And then what we recommend is doing some pruning occasionally, just going back to the tending of the garden. I don't know if it's annual. I don't know if it's you know once every two years, but just sit down and go, okay, what are all the tools that we have? Are we still using them? Do they still work? Are they redundant? You know, and, and sort of pruning it that way to kind of get down to the essence. But boy, cloud software reduces the need for internal hardware that goes on a replacement cycle. It reduces some of the issues with compatibility, interoperability that are always cropping up. I mean, when you look at an ever increasing com complex IT environment, cloud apps are definitely a big asset from our perspective to help combat the increasing complexity with reducing it in some areas. Well, I know at Paperless Parts, we're pushing an update once a week. And if there is a bug that's impacting the users, sometimes it will get fixed as fast as an hour. And with desktop software, you're not going to have that happen. And then if it did happen, you'd have to reinstall it on every computer using it, where it just, you log in in the cloud and it, you don't even know that it's fixed. It's, it's it's just done. <laughs> done for you. I Listen, I 100% agree. And I mean, we've had this conversation with people who have been disappointed about the Microsoft Office 365, right? Well, I used to just buy Office and, and sit around and whatever. And does anyone remember when you had like three different versions of Office running and then this computer didn't talk to that computer? What version of Word are you using? It, oh, my yeah. PowerPoint. You know, and those days are gone. And if you think about the value, it's mostly gone. If you think about the value of having all that interoperability and not thinking about it, it's huge. We use that uh, just in my small office, my uh, chief of staff and my project manager. And what I love in Excel, now we are on the cloud with this. We can both be in the same spreadsheet at the same time, instantaneously making changes in two different locations and talking through stuff. It's it just makes collaboration so much more effective. And, and then the other thing I just wanted to throw out there, because I'd like to give concrete examples, yep. is we work with an outsourced IT company, small company, and I was up at a different location and my I couldn't print. So I, I called him and he jumped on my computer around it did, did whatever you guys do he was doing it and then he's like you know what i think i'm just going to reinstall the driver and, and he went somewhere on the web grabbed the latest driver reinstalled it and bottom line in five minutes i was printing again and i didn't have to bring my computer somewhere i didn't have to be without printing for a week it was done that's the power i love those examples the collaboration with office suite i think it is tremendous in you know, a great, great example. And, and we just see tons like that. And I'll say this, Jay, the power of IT builds on itself and it's especially additive over time. And I think about the people, you know, to look at just go, go back in history, because then we can learn a lot from that is if you think about the people that first invested in like word processing and spreadsheets, 
the early, yeah. the people that first started with it, you know, it probably didn't help a whole lot, but no one has someone else type. There's no word processing departments anymore, right? I mean, <laughs> there's no, you know, no one uses big ledger books anymore, right? I mean, it's, it's gone. And I think that people that are finding these little benefits of the cooperative working that you're talking about, the collaboration with Microsoft 365 and these little bits, right? You're getting more proficient at it. Your team gets more proficient. And six months from now, a year from now, you're finding these values that you didn't have before. And it's mm -hmm. those little things that add up over time where you look back over a couple of years and you've unlocked all this efficiency. I mean, our belief is fundamentally, if you're not investing in IT, you are not going to be relevant in the future. I've said it before, I'll bring up this MIT professor who I always, I don't know who it was, but innovate, automate, or evaporate. What is it? Innovate, automate, or evaporate? I'm grabbing that. Let's get into something which is so scary because this happened at Rapid. William Bonner had a kick-ass backup recovery system set up, but we were subject to a ransomware attack. And what that does, we've seen it with the Colonial pipeline recently. If you were on the East Coast, maybe you were there trying to get gas and the gas stations around you were out of gas and there was a half hour line. This is an attack on our infrastructure, but it could sh shut down your shop. And it is so scary. It, and shop owners, I don't think, realize how vulnerable they are to this. So can you just talk about how you approach it, where shop owners are vulnerable and what's the 80-20 rule of what they can do just to protect themselves from, I guess, some teenager in Russian. You know, let's not talk about the professional hacking group, but just some teenager who's trying to jump on their uh, computer systems and infect stuff. Listen, I, I mean, it is so, this, this, this item is so, so, so important. There, I mean, that's what I talked about earlier, Jay, about we talked a lot about the offense, right, which is looking mm -hmm. at leveraging, you know, it was the innovate, automate, or evaporate, right, that whole concept and everything we talked about leading up to, you know, the gardening and all that. That's all offense in my mind, but defense is really equally uh, as important, and we think about uh, it in sort of three buckets, right, protect, detect, and recover. Right. And here's the thing. In fact, I just before our, our show here, I just quickly Googled ransomware and hit news just to see what comes up. Right. Because everything's super current. You know, one of the headlines that's over here. I see you can't play perfect defense every day, says FireEye CEO. You know, ransomware is not out of control, but, you know, security teams are, you know, they're like city of <laughs> city of Tulsa utility billing system returning to normal after ransomware attack. Right. That's just 18 hours old, that article. It is impossible to play perfect defense. And so that's why it needs to be protect, detect, and recover. And, you know, you led the thing by talking about you guys had this great backup system. So what I would urge everyone who's listening to this podcast to do immediately, immediately, is make sure that you have a backup system that is completely, that the, the, the destination is totally segmented from your normal data network and that you regularly have confirmation of successful backup and you're doing a disaster recovery test, a full disaster recovery test with full documentation at least once annually that you look at. How do you do that? 
Well, I mean, it depends on what your tool sets are, right? I mean, we have a very sophisticated, very easy automated backup system that we can manage and monitor, right? To your point, we automated a lot of this. So we babysit mm-hmm. the automation. We run a simulated disaster. So our backups that we recommend and manage are what's called local to local, meaning we got a local repository in your, in your, wherever your main servers are. And you go from the main servers to that which is not part of your local network. They could hack in through your CEO's laptop, through an IT password, whatever. They can't get over to the backup. Then that gets automatically backed up to the cloud and then to a second data center in the cloud. So it's local to local, cloud to cloud backup. And then what we do is we essentially simulate a disaster by disconnecting the cloud from the local. We spin up everything in the cloud, right? Which is great because you can do it without impacting production. Mm -hmm. And then we have a documented process where we go through we bring up all the servers, we log into all the apps, we take screenshots. There's a, it's called an RTO or recovery time objective where we say, hey, we got to get this all up and running in under four hours, let's say, or two hours or whatever the time frame is. Start the clock. Okay, systems down, alert, stopwatch goes, run the process, screenshot the whole thing and generate the report. Did we make time? And what did we learn in the process? We could document whatever for future improvements. But those need to be happening because you're not going to be able to be 100% effective. It, I mean, right. you on the defense, we have to be right every single time, every second of the day for 365 days a year in infinity. It's just... But there's basics because if you have desktop computers or other devices, I guess we can all look at our mobiles and every once in a while, the software asked to update or does update it but that may not be set up to automatically happen on devices within your company well i mean it leaves them leaves them vulnerable yeah i agree with that and what i would say on that key point that you're talking about is and i would say this when you think about detect and protect detect and recover a big part of the protect yeah there's tools and i mean listen we can get through the different tools and the fact that you know, that you got to be using next generation antivirus. If you're on the old definitions-based antivirus, times are passing you by. You know, do you have an, a firewall that's updated regularly? Do you have a patching system that reports effectively that you can validate that you're actually getting those updates? Are you updating not just your Windows patching, but what about all your third-party tool sets, right? If you're, you, you mm-hmm. know, Java apps, all your web browser plugins, the web browsers themselves, and there's just so many apps that you got to manage these days, right? So, you know, we call that third-party patching. Are you getting third-party patching? You know, what's your back check to make sure that there's accountability, that IT is actually generating these results? We can talk about all that. But what it really boils down to is process. When we think about what's truly driving our success on security, it's, yes, we've got the right tools. And yes, we deploy those effectively. But do we have the right day-to-day processes in place to make sure that we're keeping security on point. That's really what it boils down to. And so that's all about protection as tools, protection as process, protection as accountability. You mm-hmm. know, then we've got to have detection. So do we have, I mean, there's, a, there's something called MDR, managed detection and response, where you have a 24-7, 365 network operation center, or really a SOC, a security operation center that's monitoring your tool sets all day, every day. And so if certain cross pattern behaviors are seen, boom, there's an alert. Certain behaviors will lock down a computer and put it into essentially like isolation mode where it can't do anything else. It's completely what we would call bricked. It just sits there and blinks, you know, and then you get a phone call saying, hey, 
you know, we've detected a problem at rapid or a paperless parts or whatever. And here's the machine that's on, like, you know, let's get a person on that. That's super important. You know, that we're way past, Hey, I've got Norton antivirus and a, and a firewall and a tape backup, you know, like we got to have some real solid, solid systems in place to, to make sure we've got security or our business is just at, at risk. Let's switch gears a little bit, Ari. We have talked about so many things that probably the listeners, if they are shop owners or they have responsibility for shop operations are going, oh my God, this is so overwhelming. And I'm in LA. How do I find a Compass MSP or someone like you if they're not in the same geographical area? Listen, 100%. I mean, what I would offer to anybody that's listening, Jay, is have my information linked in the show notes. I don't care if you're in Nebraska, South Dakota, Los Angeles, Miami, Houston, you know, Bangor, Maine, Boston, Manhattan, whatever. Just, you know, shoot me an email and I'm happy to connect you. I've got a wide network of folks that, that I know all over the country and happy to connect anybody with a local company that, that they can work with. Certainly, you're welcome to reach out to someone else you know. And, and hope that they've got a better situation than you do. But I'm, I'm happy to connect folks with people that I know are good in their area for sure. Thank you very much. It is a very generous offer. And I think you'll probably have a few folks reaching out to you. Because <laughs> Not a problem. Can I say one point on that, Jay? One, one thing yeah. that I think does happen on this, and sometimes I'm a little bit, you know, I can be a little shy about getting into some of the details and really driving at it because it is so complex. It can seem a bit scary and daunting. And when you've got a million other things on your plate, especially if you're running a shop, you've got payroll, HR issues, customer problems, sales and marketing. It's just like one more thing you don't understand. There's a instinct sometimes to sort of ostrich it, bury Mm -hmm. your head in the sand. And, you know, Jimmy's got it. It's fine. This is too important to, to leave to chance. It is an Achilles heel that can cripple uh, and destroy a business. And I think that you're really well advised to just take some action. Talk to someone, even if you just have someone come in to look at what you got, you know, mm-hmm. spend some money, get a second opinion. And if they come in and say, nope, Jay, you guys are tip top, then you can just sleep better at night. Or if they come back and say, Jay, here, you know what? You're looking great. Here's a couple tips, do this or that, good stuff. Or they come in and say, Jay, hate to be the bearer of bad news, man, but we got some real problems. But those problems exist whether you know about it or not, and you're way better off knowing than not knowing. Yes, it is too important. It can bring the company down. You have a podcast, Made in America. I want to briefly touch upon that. We could probably talk on a whole episode on just your takeaways from talking with the manufacturers you have talked with, and I've listened to a, a couple really good ones. So what made you start a podcast? Why, and, and why manufacturing? Because you probably work with legal firms and healthcare companies. What, why? So manufacturing has been a big part of you know, the IT Direct story, especially post the Great Recession, and, and, and just been a big part of kind of my history in Connecticut. In fact, you know, when I started IT Direct before Compass, I founded it in the Parkville area of Hartford, Connecticut, which is where Royal and Underwood Typewriter were founded, the Pope Motor Car, the Pope mm-hmm. Bicycle, all kinds of 
of really, you know, famous manufacturing, not far from Colt Firearms, you know, some of the outsets of precision manufacturing, Stanley Black and Decker in our backyard, Pratt and mm-hmm. Whitney jet engines just across the river. So manufacturing, what's that? Bridgeport. Bridgeport. Yeah, absolutely. Sikorsky down there, electric boat. I mean, so there's just a ton of manufacturing. And so a couple things happened. Our manufacturing clients, especially you know, in the, I'm thinking about like 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, I just kept hearing more and more like, we're really struggling to find employees. You know, how do we get employees? You know, we, we got these jobs, we're trying to find employees to grow and invest in the business. And it was just interesting because as I was going to networking events, the zeitgeist was that manufacturing was sort of dead. We got to be thinking about finance and real estate and high tech and all that stuff. And I'm not, dissing those things, high tech, finance, real estate, insurance, and all that good stuff. But, you know, the manufacturing was doing well, but people just didn't know about it. And especially in Connecticut, where we had a lot of old mill buildings on the river, and a lot of our old manufacturing was in brick multi-level buildings that weren't really efficient for manufacturing in the modern age. And so manufacturing had moved out to the suburbs and to industrial parks where people didn't see them. And I would start telling people like, Hey, we got to, you know, we got to be talking about manufacturing jobs because there's a lot of great jobs out there. Manufacturing is high tech. Like I'm out there helping them install some high tech stuff. Like you got to see what's going on out there. I mean, we've got manufacturers that are doing some amazing stuff and they would love to get some, you know, employees. And ultimately I was rebuffed on a lot of this stuff and people said, I didn't know what I was talking about. (laughs) And I was sort of challenged at one point that someone told me, Hey, Ari, if you think there's so much great news in manufacturing, why don't you go and find it and, uh, and share it? And, uh, you know, I said, all right, well, I guess I will go find it. And so just kind of out of, I don't know if spite's the right word, but, you know, just <laughs> out of a challenge, I decided to do it. And a, a podcast seemed like the right way to do it. But I, I will say that it sort of combines some passions. I've always been interested in manufacturing. And honestly, had I known more about where manufacturing was going when I was younger. Maybe I would have been to that instead of computers, you know, happy where I'm at, but I, I could see that I really enjoy it. And so this was a way to still be connected to it. And I always enjoy talking to business leaders, Jay. I mean, part of what's helped me be successful is talking to business leaders and learning from them and hearing what they've done and, you know, trying to copy the things that they've done well and avoid the things that have been challenges to them. So to just talk to business leaders and share their stories was something I enjoyed doing. So the podcast was just recording it and sharing it. So it, it just sort of seemed like a natural way for me to get the word out. And uh, I sort of started it where I said, all right, I'm going to do this for a year. And mm-hmm. I just committed to that. And I've just enjoyed it so much. And the stories have been so great. And the response from the audience has been so powerful. And it's done so many great things on so many different levels, helping people learn. It's created a sense of community. It's helped people find jobs. It's helped people that have been on find work. You know, mm-hmm. client, you know, new customers have found them. Like just so many stories that have been really inspiring to me. And I've met so many amazing people that we just decided to keep it going. And so as you alluded to, we rounding out year two and, and heading into year three, super strong. Well, congratulations. What would you say to a listener who has the podcast bug and is thinking about starting one with their own flavor. Any tips, suggestions for getting going? The number one tip, Jay, is start. I agree. Number one tip <laughs> is start. You know, you know, the power, I mean, for people that go back and, and, and I sometimes go back and check out the first few episodes, you know, the, the lighting wasn't <laughs> as good. The audio was a little choppy. We didn't have it kind of dialed in, but 
we learned and we, we kept getting better and innovating and, you know, trying new things. Manufacturers will kind of know the, you know, PDCA, right? Plan, do, check, act. And we've sort of run that on the continuous improvement loop on the podcast. So I would say get started and that'd be the number one thing to just do, get rolling on it. It's a lot easier than you think, you know, and just uh, get moving, be passionate, go for it. Well, like yourself, and you were very gracious to, to come on today. I found that people are more than willing to chat with you, take the time to share their experiences and that the audience, there is an audience, it may be small, it may be big, but there is probably an audience for something you're interested in and the conversation you're going to have with someone else. I agree with that. One last question for you. How do you know that you've had a good day? Do you think about this and what metrics or metric do you consider for having a good day? Jay, I think about usually the night before, what's the most important thing I need to take care of tomorrow? Hmm. What's the number one thing that come hell or high water has to get done? And I get that thing done. And the days I get that thing done, those are good days. The days I don't get that thing done, those aren't so good days. That's how I think about it because every day new things are going to come at us, things we didn't expect. That's a fact. There's going to be people problems, hardware problems, building problems, whatever problems. But if I can get the most important thing done every day, I know that at the end of the week, I've made a big difference. At the end of a month, it's even bigger difference. At the end of the quarter, we're there. So that's how I think about it. Great. Thank you for sharing. And I appreciate you being on today. You have really illuminated the world of IT, I think, for our audience. And your story is just incredible. So you've overcome so much to obtain the success that you have. And I'm sure that Compass MSP is going to be growing and we're going to hear more from you, maybe on a national level. So your passion for business, doing the podcast, this is just wonderful. And I like you illuminating again, the manufacturing, because there's so much untapped opportunity in the U.S. for manufacturers. Anything else we didn't cover that you want to get out there? No, Jay, I think this was great. And I really appreciate you having me on. I'm humbled that you asked me to be on and your words are really, really kind. I'm just, I'm grateful for these opportunities. I'm grateful for the people I get to work with every day that have, you know, helped me kind of get to where I am today. My family, my teammates, the people that run the podcast. Uh, it's been great. I look forward to uh, a whole lot more. I got a lot more gas in the tank. So I'm looking forward to a lot more. Hopefully you'll have me on again and we can look back on all the great stuff that's happened since this episode. Let's plan on it. And how can people reach you and can you and reach you your podcast? Yeah, absolutely. Listen, the the podcast is made in America with Ari.com. You can go there, there's contact forms, what have you. You can go to our website for the IT stuff, compassmsp.com, contact there. But I'm more than happy to kind of get people to email me directly. You can link up my email in the show notes, Jay, but it's a Santiago. A-S-A-N-T-I-A-G-O at mm-hmm. compassmsp.com. And I'd be uh, delighted to answer any questions. You know, the, the thing I get the most excitement about, Jay, is helping other people. And so the days I can do that are great days. Well, thank you again. And thank you for the offer to help the audience. And I know our audience is pretty proactive about reaching out and they really appreciate guests like yourself who are willing to take it beyond just this conversation. 
Got it. For you, the listener, I think Ari is a great example of you are the master of your destiny. Let him be an inspiration to you. I encourage you to check out his podcast and listen to an episode or two that resonates with you. And until next time, keep those spindles turning, those lasers cutting, and those cybersecurity defenses strong. Have a super day. Thanks for listening to the Job Shop Show podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Not only do I read every single one, it also helps me understand what content matters most to you. Thanks again for listening to The Job Shop Show.